All right, hello and welcome again to our little encounter preparation podcast. Um, again, want to say thank you to everybody who's using the encounter. We are joined today with Leo, the Wonder Dog. He's hiding. Anyway, we're going to hope we can get through this without him being too terrible. Um, if I put him outside the door, he barks and whines to get in the door. And when he's here, sometimes he makes noises and I, I don't know what else to do. So welcome, everybody. Uh, we're going to be talking about the seventh lesson in our summer quarter. For, it's going to be July 18th, Psalm 51. We're going to talk about personal confession. Um, but before we get into that, I wanted to share with you a couple resources coming up. Uh, that you can put on your calendar and hopefully be able to use and enjoy. Um, first is the symposium. Uh, the symposium we started, uh, I guess, about three years ago. We did it virtually last year, but we're getting back together, and it's going to be at the Dyersburg Church, Dyersburg Carmel Presbyterian Church, and that's going to be November the 4th uh, through the 6th. And this is set up to basically any person in your church, lay or leader, uh, if they can they can be encouraged in, in the different um, workshops that we have. We haven't put out the workshops and the workshop schedule yet, but that's coming up. I just wanted to make sure that you were um, aware of what's happening. The cost to attend is $100. That includes uh, dinner on Thursday, lunch on Friday. Um, and if you're doing it online, then you'll also pay the $100 this year. Uh, last year we did it for free, and, and so... Um, it's a good it's a good resource. We've had a lot of good feedback on it, and people have found it helpful. If your team, if your church has uh, people on uh, Christian education or discipleship ministry or a missions board, any any kind of board, uh, you'll have some workshops to go to and to learn more about resources in the church. Learn more about those particular subject areas. Um, if you do want to go, we do have. Um, rates available at these hotels the sleep in the hampton inn holiday inn uh, if you want to register uh, do that it'll it's coming soon but the cutoff date for the symposium rate at those hotels is october 21st so make sure you know that and get people excited in your church if they want to come again a hundred dollars in person which includes meals on thursday night and lunch on friday and then also online so it's it's available in these different ways so um that's one. The next one I want to talk about is one that we started, I think, three three or four years ago. We didn't get to do this at all last year, uh, in person or virtual. But it's a day at the park. So basically, we Cumberland Presbyterians invade uh, Montgomery Bell State Park, and we have a worship service at the chapel. We have um, a living history kind of display. This year, the preaching will be done by Dr. J., and uh, worship will be led by Sandra Shepherd, Reverend Sandra Shepherd. She's the um, she's on staff at the Brent Haven Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Uh, more information on that, you can contact me at cfleming at cumberland.org, or there's my cell phone. Feel free to contact me. Um, again, Dr. J and Reverend Sandra Shepherd will be your leaders there, and we will have the historical society. They like to dress up and tell a little bit about the the times that the Cumberland Presbyterian was born, the church was born, and and they uh, last year had some cookies and cider, so good for them. But anyway, that's going to be available. We chose uh, Tuesdays, or we're hoping to encourage some of the older members of the different churches to come and enjoy fellowship. Uh, so this is what we would consider a uh, you know an adult senior adult ministry. Um, you could um, you know. 
bring everybody, but uh, we are focused in on the adults and senior adults for this particular event. Um, you can contact the um, Montgomery Bell State Park, and they do have uh, rooms available. So like if your church is from a long way away and you want to maybe come up on Sunday or Monday and, and just spend some time in the park and, and have a little retreat weekend, that would be great. You can contact them at Montgomery Bell State Park. Um, but so anyway, we gather, you know, sometime around 10 o'clock. We take about an hour to uh, see all the sites and to, and to hear the presentations by the Historical Society. And then around 11 o'clock, we gather at the chapel there and uh, we worship, you know, and and experience a really great time. It was a lot of fun. After worship gets done around noon, uh, we go to the lodge and we have lunch together. And so, anyway, I thank you uh, for your interest in these things. And if you need more information, again, see Fleming at Cumberland.org. And then my cell phone number there, 615-424-8561. I look forward to talking with you if you need any more information. All right, so that brings us back to our lesson. Again, it's Psalm 51. It's about personal confession. What I was trying to do with the Psalms was to kind of follow the that um, old mnemonic device, Acts, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. And so we are now uh, turning our thoughts toward confession. So our prayer for illumination today. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. And then our memory verse for this week is one you might already have memorized, but it's Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. So that's Psalm 51.10. And our um, highlighted discussion question is the very first one. Recall a time you chose not to confess a wrongdoing or mistake. How might things have gone better if you had? Now, that's the key, right? That's what this, this whole lesson is about, really. So, Dr. Qual starts in our introduction with a kind of a witty illustration about maybe being honest and speaking the truth, and it kind of maybe backfired a little bit. But uh, essentially what we're trying to do in this lesson is to talk about what confession is. What is confession? Uh, and And... Have you experienced it? I think this is a this is a really uh, personal uh, Sunday school lesson. I use the uh, high school group at the New Hope Cumberland Presbyterian Church to to um, get my thoughts together, and 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 I, I I introduce this question by saying, without causing too much harm or vulnerability in you, when was a time when you did something wrong that you had to confess, or is there a time that you haven't confessed and it's it's eaten you through or these kinds of things? So. Uh, we don't want to threaten anybody in our Sunday school class with, with vulnerabilities, but at the same time, people might want to share a time when, when they had to confess because confession uh, is also a witness to the grace of God. So I would offer that, but also ensure that your students feel safe uh, to, to not you know, feel too threatened. Um, one of the big steps in, the, in AA classes is confession. I think it's step five. Uh, you have to confess to yourself, you have to confess to God, and you confess to other people. And it, and AA, has, I think, has proven uh, when you withhold confession, it eats you up inside, and it's hard to take care of your addictions because there's that part of you that stays in the dark that you don't, you don't want to share, and, and it's destructive. 
St. Augustine says that if you excuse yourself in confession, then you shut up you shut up sin within your soul and you shut out pardon. And I think that's really true. When you practice confession in the church, uh, I think it's it's an important practice. It's kind of funny. I've seen some studies to where religious people are practicing confession less, at least to one another, um, while irreligious or non-religious people are practicing confession more and finding that it helps with their mental states and, and the way they live in the world. So it's very weird that us religious folks um, no longer confess to one another. Uh, and it's, it's unfortunate um, because it, it's a hard life when, when you're trying to keep in guilt or shame or, or whatever else. But anyway, when we practice confession in the church, it shows that we, ha- we are dependent on one another. Um, scripture does tell us to confess our sins to one another, right? Um, and, and the only way we can do that is if people in the church are acting in maturity and, and people know that if they confess seeking, you know, a little bit of relief from their guilt or shame that it doesn't become the primary topic on the gossip list or in the prayer groups to where there's more time spent talking about the confession than there is just simply praying for the strength of that person. Um, and then this is a good one. You regain authenticity. When you confess, you can finally become you again. You're not hiding you. You're not hiding your shame. You're not hiding your guilt. It is easier to live authentic, authentically than it is to live as a false person holding your guilt. And then also it, it creates a humility in which we can forgive other people. All right. Sometimes when you don't confess, you find it hard to forgive other people when they confess. And so uh, when you're reminded that you yourself need forgiveness, then it, it is a reminder that we forgive one another even as Christ and God forgave us. And so... So there's the introduction. We'll move on then to the exploring this um, scripture, the historical setting. So this is really important. The, so the setting for this in Psalm 51, of course, is when David has been called out for his sin um, with Bathsheba and everything that resulted thereof. Um, there's an old adage that says, give the devil an inch and he'll take a mile. And certainly that's what happened with David. So um I think it'd be good in your class to show the progression of how sin happened and the consequences of it. All right, so like, you know the story. David is up on the roof looking around. He sees Bathsheba taking a bath, right? So the first thing was he allowed the devil a little inch. When he looked over and saw Bathsheba, he began the lusting in his mind. And then the next thing you know, he sins for her. So lust becomes action. And then she conceives and is pregnant. Now... At that point, he could cut his losses, confess, or he could have confessed when he when he started having lust in his heart, repent, confess, these kinds of things. Sent for her, he could stop, repent, and confess. She becomes pregnant. He could confent, repent and confess, but that leads him to trying to cover it up. And so the way he covers it up is, is he brings Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, back home and gets him drunk and says, go sleep with your wife, you know, trying to cover up, you know, um, the pregnancy, but Uriah is a good man, and he says, "I can't have fun while every uh, uh, while my other people, while my friends and and my brothers and sisters are dying in war," and so he wouldn't sleep with Bathsheba. So then David, instead of confessing and repenting, devises another plan to where he sends Uriah to the front line, and when the battle is heaviest, he instructed the general to move everyone else out, but not Uriah. And so Uriah was struck down and killed, and so then. 
instead of confessing and repenting, uh, David tried to keep the secret. Of course, Nathan the prophet comes through and says, you're the man, right? You, you have killed this person. And so you see how the progression happens. Most of the time our sins that are most devastating begin with a small, small thing. And we cover it, we don't confess, we don't repent, and then it grows and it grows and it grows. And of course, David was devastated. Uh, and so for the kids that I was teaching, I said, you know, confession and repentance is like an off-ramp on a highway. You know, you get in a car and you're, you're going a certain direction. Unless you get off an exit, you're going to end up wherever you end up, right? It's like a train on a track. It's destined to go somewhere. And when you start with sin, it's destined to end up in destruction. But repentance and confession act as off-ramps. And at any point in time, you can confess and you can repent and you can get off and you can spare yourself from that devastation that is sure to take place if you keep going. So uh, that's the historical setting. Um, and, and, I, and I asked the class that I was teaching, you know, what are some of the reasons why we don't confess? And of course, one of the big ones is fear. It's fear of being found out. It's fear of other people thinking worse of you. It's fear of the consequences. It's fear of all kinds of things. It's fear, it's pride, it's other things, but it certainly is fear. And I want to read what Dr. Qualls has written here on page 44. No one wants to be judged by their worst moment. David had, a, had his worst moment played out very publicly. He was called out by the preacher. Even worse, his misdeeds were recorded in a book still read by people who make it a point to avoid the temptation that ensnared David so easily. Talk about no place to hide. Let us not forget that David was, slash is, a most revered spiritual and political leader. In the same book, he is called a man after God's own heart. Um, and, and I think that's important to point out. Like, people make mistakes. Even the best of people make mistakes, and they sin. But the best of them um, repent when, it, when the time comes. Like, we, we're all going to fail, but um, our response to the failure of course, uh, will make things worse or will make things better. Um, so anyway, maybe it's fear that keeps keeps us from being completely honest. Um, but that's the setting, right? There's more to it because the consequence of David's sin wasn't just um, being found out. The consequence was that his the baby that was to be born died. Um, and the consequence was that David had to live with the guilt of what he had done, and that's, that's pretty important, too. All right, so then that brings us to the digging deeper section. Uh, in the digging deeper section, Dr. Qualls divides the text into four sections. Uh, he calls it the uh, brokenness acknowledged, forgiveness sought, reconciliation envisioned, and grace given. And so um, I want to go through each of those just kind of briefly. Uh, and, and in verses 1 through 6 is what Dr. Qualls focuses on what he calls brokenness acknowledged. Okay, so that's the key, right? Like, that's one of the reasons why it's hard to confess our sins is because it also shows that we're people who do wrong, and it's hard to confess up to that. Uh, and so there is a, uh, there's a scene in uh, Toy Story, the original one, where Buzz Lightyear finally realizes because of a TV commercial that he's not the person he thought he was. Instead, he was just a little toy. And it shook him to his very identity. He didn't really know how to deal with it. And so there's the scene, you know, of course you have Buzz Lightyear's looking at the TV and he's seeing himself advertised as just a toy, not like the super soldier spaceman that he thought he was. 
And of course, you had Randy Newman playing in the background, and then you see the face of Buzz Lightyear, and he's like, "Oh, I am not who I thought I was," and it crushed him. And in in a, in a lot of ways, this is what confession does. It it is the acknowledgement that we are not we are not uh, as high and mighty as we thought we were. Uh, so, what it ends up doing then is it exposes our vulnerability. So in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, uh, we read these words. If we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the very core of repentance is to say that I don't have what I need or I am not what I need to be. And before God, we put ourselves in submission and repentance. And so that God then sends us the Holy Spirit, gives us new hearts, new minds, and a new will to do that which God has created. We pick up our cross, we die to ourselves, we're, we're risen in the power of the Spirit. So that's the first thing in confession that we do, is that we realize that we are broken people, and we admit it. And then we're not ashamed of it, because when we're weak, we're strong. That's what Scripture tries to tell us. Um, last thing I'll say about that, it's uh, when Paul writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's not that Paul was ashamed or afraid uh, that to preach the gospel it's just he's not afraid of the gospel because in the gospel he had to realize he was the chief of all sinners and he had to admit that in order to preach the gospel i am not ashamed to be a sinner because in the gospel i become a child of god right and built up so all right so then in verses 7 through 12 you have forgiveness sought and so on that one um Another scary thing about forgiveness, and it might be the hardest after confessing that you're broken, is that you have no control over if you confess if somebody forgives you or not. Again, you're completely vulnerable. The scariest part of confession uh, is that while confession is within our control, forgiveness is outside of our hands. We are completely dependent upon the person we're asking forgiveness if they receive it and then they give it. Um, but, so then in in the, in the verse, I've always had a kind of a little problem with this. Uh, David says, against you only have I sinned, which I don't think is terribly true, right? Like, he sinned against a lot of people. Um, but the point, I think, of that is that David knows that ultimately he is forgiven in God. While it may be scary to ask forgiveness from someone else, it's a necessary step. Um, but we know that God is faithful and just and will forgive us, and so we don't have to fear. At the very least, as far as it depends on us, we acknowledge our sin to someone else or before God, and at the very least, we know that God is faithful and that God has not cast us away from his presence, and so that fear at least has been removed. But then also it's that promise that God will renew our spirit when we confess. So forgiveness is sought, and, and we know, we have confidence, if you will, that God will give us a new heart and a new mind. Other people may not, but that's, that's how it works, right? We deal with the consequences of what we do. In page 45, Dr. Qualls writes, David deserves justice. He pleads for mercy. He expects grace. God's grace can bring righteousness out of sin and joy out of pain. Even when the heart is redeemably deceit, irredeemably deceitful and corrupt. God can create a new one, clean and pure. Jeremiah knew this, and he wrote, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. 
for they shall return to me with their whole heart. That's Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 7. So then the next thing, we go to verses 13 and 15 of our text, reconciliation and vision. Um, it is hard to live a life without a good vision, and, and a vision of redemption and forgiveness is certainly one of those things that can push us forward. Uh, the world uh, lacks maybe a mechanism of forgiveness, I've said, and so if you're not in connection with God or Jesus Christ who forgives us, uh, when we do something wrong, the best we can do is hope to ask forgiveness from somebody else, but who knows if we get it, and then how can we live knowing that we've done wrong and it's not been dealt with, right? Um, so in this psalm, David envisions being cleaned with hyssop and being white as snow and all that jazz, and it's that that gives him hope to move on and move forward. Um, I kind of thought this was interesting. If you think of the way uh, the prodigal son envisioned redemption with his earthly father, right? Like he finds himself in a pig pen, and he says, well, maybe if I go to my father and I confess that I'm horrible and I'm unworthy and all these things, maybe he'll let me be just a simple servant in his house. He would never take me back as a child, the prodigal son thinks. But maybe I can at least be a servant and I won't be living here with the pigs. Yet David then cast a larger vision. Of course, the prodigal son comes home and of course the heavenly father wraps his arms around and, and throws a banquet because the son that was lost is now is found. And so David then has this same vision. He has, this is why David's a man after God's own heart. He knows that God is gracious, loving, ever loving, and that God will always accept a contrite heart. And so David envisions God, and that gives him strength to move on. And so maybe then we practice that in our own lives. It's hard to forgive ourselves when we've done something wrong. I've ministered to people, and I've been a person who has done wrong, and, and I can't let myself go right? I can't let myself go too easy. I want to beat myself up a little bit. I think I should, you know, maybe I'm, I've never been a Catholic, but maybe there's something about this Catholic guilt where you just don't want to be forgiven because it feels good to hurt. I don't know. But when we practice and we recite and we think about the goodness of God and how God has forgiven others and God forgives us, man, that's, that's a powerful vision of life. And it's a vision that can propel us forward even when we fail. It's also a vision that gives us the strength to forgive others, even as Christ has forgiven us, right? Our God in Christ has forgiven us. So we envision the good of being reconciled and transformed to our fellow humans and to God. And then finally, grace is given. Uh, David found that he was not cast away from the presence of God. Instead, as according to the promises of God, God never leaves us nor forsakes us. And through the experience, in many ways, we're stronger than we were before. I've done some marital counseling where one spouse has cheated on the other and uh, one confessed, truly confessed, and another truly forgave. And their marriage is stronger than it was before because uh, they were committed to forgiveness, to grace and mercy. And, and, and those are the types of things that are hard to move past unless somebody finds forgiveness, receives forgiveness, and practices for forgiveness through the strength of the Holy Spirit. Probably won't work. But I know, because I've seen it, that there is an alternate way of revenge and getting justice and all that jazz, and it's practicing mercy and grace. And, and, and God can transform any situation and any person. And so that also is a hope. We can be washed with hyssop. We can become white as snow. And God can transform relationships and, and repair those things. 
All right, so that leads us to the learning from the scripture section of our text. And, um, um, and what Dr. Qualls uh, talks about there is the confession of faith in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. We acknowledge that all of us, like David says, from, from, from the womb I was a sinner. And the Cumberland Presbyterian Church recognizes the um, fallenness of humanity. We don't go so far as saying completely depraved. Uh, as it says in uh, our Confession of Faith 3.07, it says, God's mighty act of reconciling love was accomplished in Jesus Christ, the divine Son, who became flesh, to be the means by which the sins of the world are forgiven. We believe that persons have some agency within the sovereignty of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to turn away from sin and to turn to God. In other words, we do have this choice, that the Holy Spirit comes and reveals and convicts us of our sins, our wrongs, our irrighteousness, our unholiness, if you will. And then we have the opportunity to turn to God for, uh, for transformation in repentance. Um, but it's only the Holy Spirit that convicts our hearts. And man, we can live life uh, to where we, we hide from God and God's Spirit. Like, I've noticed as a minister, I can tell when people are not in the greatest spiritual way because they stop talking to the preacher and they stop coming to church. And then they clothe it in language of righteousness. Like, I don't need church to be spiritual. Never have disparaged me, but I just know when people stop talking to me, it's because there's something in their life that they're not real proud of. But instead of confessing and turning, they simply fall away. Um, and that, that's, that's the danger of non-confession. Um, or turning your, turning your ear away from the, the words of the Spirit. It happens. Um, or you can confess and you open yourself up to the ministries of the church. Uh, the Lord's Supper, right? To embody the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. To take in the sacrifice of God in Jesus Christ. That you're still welcomed at the table and you're sustained by the sacrifice. That God still loves you. And, and then you open yourself up to, in submission to the ministries of the church in worship, in healing, forgiveness, these kinds of things. That's why the church is important. It's also why people, I think, get away from the church when they're in the midst, if they don't want to confess or repent. Um, it's hard. So I've, I've thought about it this way. It's, it's very hard to have a marriage relationship if one spouse is cheating on the other. It's very hard to have authentic conversations and authentic love when someone is cheating. And so the only way to get past that is confession and repentance. And it's the same for the church. If you're a church member and you're being convicted of sin, you can either confess and repent or you can walk the other way. Um, but hopefully you use the ministries of the church and the graces of the church to get back with God through repentance. And finally, applying the scripture. Um, this is a, I'd say this is almost common in the, uh, in the church. I'm not going to go through what Dr. Qualls wrote, but basically it's, a, it's an illustration of someone who, uh, well, I will read one part. Uh, he talks about a friend who, when they were in high school, got in trouble, and he saw the guilt and how the guilt absolutely crushed him. And then when they grew up, uh, Sheriff Department called Dr. Qualls to come visit a person, and it turns out to be the same person who, as older in life, also did some things wrong. And anyway, I'll just read this. Dr. Qualls writes, While I'm not a psychologist, I am an experienced pastor, and I believe my friend had never made peace with his failings. He was unable to accept that he, a person who loved God 
and wanted to be a man after God's own heart, was also and profoundly a sinner. Dr. Qualls goes on to write, Confessing that you are guilty of sin is not the same thing as feeling guilty. My friend majored in the latter. And then finally, this is not the message of Psalm 51, however. This psalm teaches us more about the grace of God than the failure of human beings. And this is good news to all of us who stand in a long line of sinners. I think that's so true. Like, man, the gospel is that no matter how awful you are, God loves you. And it's also, you can't justify yourself. You have to repent, and you have to confess, and you have to be transformed by the by the renewal of your mind and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so my commentary on this would be, living a lie has devastating consequences. The greatest application from this scripture is that God is still gracious to all. Another important lesson is that within the church, there must be safe places in which people can confess, right? And you must be that person. So I would really encourage people in your Sunday school class to understand church isn't just an activity that we do, but we partake in the ministry of God and we become representatives of God in this world. And when people need to be healed, they confess. And we need to be the type of people where we create a safe space by which people can confess and, and find healing in the church, not manipulation and not guilt or shame. But um, the message of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west so far, God has removed our sins from us, right? Though we... Now our sin be, be scarlet, we can be washed white as snow. Um, and then God in Christ takes upon that guilt too. And, and, and your wrongs have been, have been justified in the death of Christ. And, and I think that's an important way to live. So, Sunday school teachers, Sunday school classes, uh, this is a good lesson. Confession's important. And, and to live both in confession when you've done wrong, but also to receive Confession is is a needed ministry of the world today. There's a lot of evil out there, and people don't know how to deal with wrong. Uh, look at somebody says something wrong 10 years ago, and they're still paying for it. Um, the church can model forgiveness and health and in, in a healthy way uh, if we so decide to, and that's my encouragement to you. So teach well, learn well, uh, perform well uh, in, the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord bless us in this time. Thank you. Uh, for your faithfulness in your word and your faithfulness to your church. Help us to glorify you this Sunday. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.